Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This Viltrumite Life, a podcast about Invincible on Amazon Prime Video. I'm your host for this evening, Alex Albin. Wait, wait what's that? <laughs> now, you changed the name and now it's just you? You're the host? I, what are we, I, I, one of the hosts. One of the hosts. Wow. Now, this has gone too far. I'm just, I'm hosting a show called um, uh, Marking Mark. Where we just, I, I am the host, and we keep track of what Mark Grayson's doing. Pete? Uh, I am uh, hosting a show called Between Two Assholes. My name is Pete. <laughs> and this is actually Podvincible, a podcast about it's Invincible on Prime Video. We're going to be talking about the fourth episode. Neil Armstrong. Kirkmania. Neil Armstrong, eat your heart out. As usual, spoiler warning here. If you haven't watched the episode, go watch that because we're going to spoil the heck out of it. But to give you broad strokes of what happens here, we are getting deeper into the mystery of what's going on with Omni-Man. Lots of suspicious folks from Cecil Stedman to Damien Darkblood. At least one of them gets dealt with by the end of the episode as Damien Darkblood gets sent down to hell. Classic. Classic investigator thing. I remember the episode of Columbo where the same thing happened to him, and that was pretty messy. But before we left, one more thing. Just one more thing. (laughs) Ah, just one more thing. I'm getting sucked down to hell, said Columbo. That's my Columbo voice. Uh, You know, uh, Columbo, Columbo went to my college, Hamilton College in upstate New York, and he got kicked out for climbing the church. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could tell by the way he looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very <laughs> agile looking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nobody more uh, agile than Peter Falk. Uh, anyway, yeah. what he's else happens? Kind of got like that, you know, Notre Dame look. You know what I mean? That little. Yeah, yeah, he's a fighting a leprechaun. It's and actually, uh, Alex, it's pronounced Peter Fuck. Oh. <laughs> so sorry, I've been doing that wrong my entire life. Yeah, I don't so know weird. if you're right about that, Justin. I don't know. Hold on, I'm going go to my, my six-year-old. I was just telling I, every night I put him to bed. By reading him a script from Columbo, and I've just been smart. It wrong. Smart. smart. What are you trying to raise? Some sort of <laughs> detective. The best detective? detective of all time. Yeah. yeah Law exactly. and order writer. Once we finish that, we're going to move into Murder She Wrote. Yeah. Nice. And oh, it's your kid, right. That's the other thing that happens in this episode. <laughs> there are a couple of other things. Um, but uh, I'll say I like this episode quite a bit. This is one of my favorite episodes so far, I would say. Uh, Pete, just uh, yes. real quick. Yes, you have Before a we get into it, I have a question. Do you think that uh, Kirkman walked up to Glenn and was like, listen, I got to kill you off in this first show, but I, you were being the star superhero in the next show, all right? You just got to die in probably the worst way imaginable, and then you'll get to your own show. Just to check, by glad you're talking about Stephen Young, right? Yeah, the okay. star of the show, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I would say between the time he was on Walking Dead and the time he's been on Invincible, 
he has built up quite a career that has nothing to do with Robert Kirkman, been nominated yes. for an Oscar as of recently, and done several incredible movies and other shows. I don't know if you ever checked out Tuca and Birdie. He is hilarious on that. That show is amazing. Yeah. Check that so out. He has this that dual career of voice, uh, mm-hmm. voiceover and, um, and on-camera acting. So I got to so say, say I, that conversation I, I, never happened. Never I, happened. Wait, what should never happen? You're saying that conversation never happened. You don't think Kirkman talked to him about that at all? No, because by the time they started the show, they had already killed off Glenn, right? If I'm remembering my timeline correctly. Years ago. That was so long ago. (laughs) Yeah, but to say yes to Walking Dead, knowing that you're going to have that horrible, like, you got to be like, listen, yeah, this is bad. You're right, Glenn. This is awful, but. Again, Stephen Young, I, I'm sure he wasn't like, hey, this is my big breakout role. I'm, I have a couple of demands first. <laughs> One, give me an animated series down the road that's on Prime Video, everybody's fourth favorite streaming service. Uh, I think that's <laughs> smart negotiation. Everyone's swinging wildly a baseball bat at everything right now on this podcast. <laughs> I'm in a now, saucy uh, mood. I don't know what to say. That's what, the, that's what I imagine stuff. this American life is like, so I'm trying to channel some of that energy. Who's it hosted yeah, by? Is that the Ira Glass one? Mm-hmm. A sure, lot sure, of people yeah. listen to our podcast and they're like, wow, how'd they get three Ira Glasses together? <laughs> three journal- <laughs> audio journalists. Don't you Ira Glass, know. just to check, I might have this wrong. He's the guy that uh, smokes cigarettes like, like kind of upside down, right? Like he takes his head. He's like, he's the Andrew Dice Clay of the radio. You were right. You were correct. That's 100% I don't know right. who this Everyone's Andrew always- Dice Clay fellow is, but I do know who Ira Glass is. And he's, he tells some fucked up jokes. So I'm working on a I'm working on a character called Ira Glass Clay. Um, oh, nice! It's a very Sm- chill uh, voice does all of Andrew Dice Clay's. Um, you better do that for reruns. your character's welcome show. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hysterical. Come on, you just put a leather jacket on. It's good to go. Hickory Dickory Dock. The mouse, the mouse went up the clock. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying this, Pete, because I'm sure anybody who tuned in for our Invincible podcast is definitely not. So let's get in and talk about the episode. Like I was saying, I thought this episode was very good. I think Invincible is developing really well as a character, as as we've talked about quite a bit here. As comic book readers, I was initially very thrown by how much they were getting into the Omni-Man mystery, into the robot mystery, in moving all of these things forward. But I think this is the one where, from that perspective, it really started to click for me. And I like how they're laying this out and laying the seeds here, putting up some different tricky loyalties between everybody, while in the background, Mark is just kind of going on his superhero journey and doesn't know all of this is going to come crashing down on him pretty soon. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, this was the episode where it felt like Everything is sort of cooking. Like he's got, we have four burners going. Everything's yeah. starting to boil in a really good way. And what I really like about this, on a lot of animated shows, you don't get like very subtle character work, both visually and vocally. And this show does that super well. Like the way that Nolan talks to Invincible, like when they are having that conversation on Mount Everest about uh, Viltrum. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you could tell, like, he's he's skittish just by the way, like, you see his eyes check in with Invincible at one point. Very subtle, but it's like there's something he's not saying there. The scene yeah. with Adam Eve and Mark at school, like, there's a lot of emotions boiling there as well. Like, this this show is very, like, meticulously made, and I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Pete? 
Yeah, I agree. I I think the the way it's animated and the kind of it, there is some great storytelling. They're taking their uh, time. They're doing some uh, smart choices with a lot of this stuff. Uh, I do think there's also though moments where you kind of get like the the mummy coming out of the thing that was kind of like a cardboard cutout, like moving, and then like the door accidentally dropped, which was hysterical. So I feel like it does both things in a fun way. Um, uh, but, uh, I do agree with what you're saying. I, I would like to- completely just on that note, I completely forgot until you just said that, that, that happened at the beginning of the episode because yeah. it came back in no way, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. It was it it's is fun. crazy. Well, that's the thing. Like they're, you know, we're getting these like kind of opening bit type things for the start of the show. And they've kind of like the way they're using the title card is really funny. So like they're really like and they're not sticking to it. They're doing different stuff each time, which is interesting. So it's uh, it's keeping me on my toes in all the right ways, I feel like. And you love being on your little tippy toes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, you don't want to be too relaxed with the show where you're like, I know what's going to happen. I see it coming a mile away. I've read the comic. Like, it's still impressing me with its stuff, you know? Justin's saying literally, though, because I remember when you were building your dream house and I was putting in the cabinets, you said, nope, make them two inches higher. That's right. Because like, uh, like all great, we love to be on our uh, the tip of our toes because we're always on point in the middle of uh, fifth position. <laughs> Ballet, ballet Well, speaking of uh, watching your toes, that scorpion, I mean, like, what are the odds that scorpion's crawling along and then a jeep comes out of nowhere and a guy gets out and steps exactly where the scorpion was going? I mean, what are the odds of that? If I'm basing, like, my observation of scorpions on television and film, like, those mm-hmm. things are always in the wrong place. The wrong time. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. I do like, uh, just to get back to the pacing of this with the mummy thing again, it's a very comic booky thing that you don't necessarily see on TV a whole lot, which I think is interesting. You know, not that he's the only person that's done it. Certainly it's something that happened in Invincible the comic quite a bit, but it's a very Chris Claremont thing where he'll drop something in an X-Men issue uh, and then 20 issues down the line is the time when it pays off. So to have that on a TV show, particularly a TV show that's been released weekly versus binging it, that's a really fascinating way of structuring things. I'm curious to see how that continues to pan out. It was like with the garbage, when he throws the garbage in the air and then Mm -hmm. we don't get what happens. You know, it's like just smart, you know, rewarding people for paying attention. Well, or later in the episode when they're going into space, the he's not the vulture, but the guy who has the rockets on his back because Immortal threw him into space at the beginning of the first episode. Super fun. And that's straight from the comic. Like that's straight out of the comic, though. It happens at a different time. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's all really fun. Also, uh, I didn't notice this. I think the official Invincible account posted it, but the logo is getting bloodier each time. Yeah. So that's bad news. Yeah, that's bad yes, news. that is bad news. Um, a lot of blood. We see a blood, spurt of blood on the wall at the Guardians headquarters. That yeah. Cecil's like, leave Just that look there. Look at it. That's the That was of all yeah. the things that happened in the episode. To me, that was what? the most messed up. <laughs> Clean the walls. That's gross. That's going to start to rot. That's going to attract flies and bugs. Rot. Oh man, I don't know. What do you think? Blood's organic. Blood? It's not paint. Blood's the original paint. Oh, that's true. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember when we were making Pete's dream house, and he said, and I asked him, do you, do you prefer this chartreuse or this eggshell? And he said, no, use the original paint. And I didn't yeah. know what he meant then. But now, now it's all clicking. Now, now, now it's, it's all coming Yeah, together. his home improvement show is terrifying. <laughs> 
Uh, but I, yeah, I like that moment from a character perspective of Cecil saying, leave the blood on the wall, but it was pretty messed up. That's all. It, just in general across the board, but Cecil is really becoming almost the main character here. Yeah. Like he, uh, a lot of Cecil action in this episode. Yeah. Um, he sends, uh, sends Invincible to Mars. Um, he is investigating Nolan. He's also, uh, fucking around with the Guardians of the Galaxy or Guardians of the Globe. <laughs> different, different people. Yep. And then at the yep. end, he, he banishes the demon detective, our, our boy. Back to hell. Yeah, and that was a fun bit, too, where he's like, oh, now you care about the demon? That was fun. Super fun. It's a fun character. I'm glad they brought him forward in the continuity because it's nice to throw him in here. And obviously his mixed morality shakes things up quite a bit. I was worried, though, that we weren't going to get any more of the demon detective, but then I was happy by the end there. There you go. How do you feel, Pete? Demon Darkblood now in hell? Are you bummed that he's gone, that he's done with after this episode? Well, I'm hoping because we got a little like teaser of him from the closet there that he's not uh, it's not over for him. What was that? Could you could you explain that for me? Because I watched that clip at the end several times and I know I'm missing something very obvious. But it looks like a shot of a like recording device or something that the demon detective planted. And yeah. then it's like him laughing as, uh, you know. All right. I was watching it in a much smaller window on my computer, and I was like, what is this? Sheets? What are, what are we sheets. focusing on? Oh, What's going man. on? Everybody knows yeah. demons can hear through the sheets. A nice jacket, perhaps? <laughs> a no. well-folded jacket? <laughs> the demon switched out their expensive um, uh, high thread count <laughs> sheets with some much lower thread count sheets. Uh, I was laughing. It's the ultimate revenge. You can only yeah. sleep on 200 thread count. <laughs> No more Egyptian cotton, Omni-Man. <laughs> Good luck sleeping. <laughs> David Darkblood's plan was just to short sheet their bed. Yeah. <laughs> Come by house. For a demon, he has a lot of real summer camp ways of getting back at people. <laughs> Come by house, tickle nose with feather when... You try to scratch yourself whipped cream on face. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, oh, whose who's hand was in warm water bucket all night? Uh-oh. <laughs> Omni-Man's got pee-pee pants. <laughs> Let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. No, we should keep... I, we could do these all day. Um, I do think um, the, the very... The Rorschach uh, demon detective went down in the most Rorschach way possible, I thought. That felt very like a very purposeful end for him. I agree. And that certainly realigns Cecil as the main an antagonist isn't the right thing, but the main detector, it sort of unfractures that particular side of the storyline, which I think is smart. Let's talk. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but let's talk about Mark and Nolan's relationship in this episode, because it goes through a lot of different permutations. Um what do you think about how they are working together or not? What did you think about those scenes? Justin, I know you chimed in a little bit. So, Pete, what were your thoughts? Uh, I feel like I I enjoyed uh, Invincible in Space, like when he tried to eat the sandwich and the way he's kind of like there, but he's a secret, you know, so he's got to just be kind of like laid back in the cut. Um, so I enjoy the fact that like he's on these missions, but it does feel like he's really kind of on his own to figure this all out. And the interaction with the aliens was just really a lot of fun and uh, a kind of a cool first mission for him to go on. Well, and I think in relation to Nolan, like Nolan's trying to 
both control and test Mark at the same time. Yeah. Like he can't yeah. let Mark find out his secrets, um, both the ones we know about from the show, from the series so far, and the ones we know about from the comic book, read, us reading the comic books. So, like, uh, it, that's a fine line to walk, and I think Nolan's way of dealing with it is to be, like, a jerk, to be an authoritarian about mm-hmm. it. And I just think Mark's not that... You can just see Mark's not that kind of kid. He's not responding yeah. to that. He's... He's a kid who's like very earnest and very like just innocent. And when he finds out something is right or wrong, like he wants to do the right thing and stop the wrong thing from happening um, in a way that is so that's why the character is so good and so fun to watch, because it's like he's just like this pure character. Yeah, um, so I, really, I like the way they keep pushing them closer to some sort of confrontation. I, I, I really like how like you kind of see that it's not just told or said like the the way he's committed to Amber, uh, even though he's supposed to be like on that ship as it's launching or at least reporting and was just hysterical and so earnest to what he wants. And uh, you know what I mean? Like where his, his commitment lies. And I think that like that's really going to clash hard with his dad at some point and uh, and the demon kind of called it. So it'll be interesting. And obviously his love language, Mark's love language is gifts because he's got the rice oh, separator. Man. He's yeah. got the bowels. He's the a way bowler. Kinda like, he's a bowler. Yeah. With the balls. I think it was funny though, the way he kind of like panic bought that uh, as like to be cool for two weeks. Uh, don't, don't leave me. If, I thought that was fun. Oh yeah. I thought you were talking about the previous gift because I was going to say, if somebody gets me a rice separator, that actually is the way to my heart. That's great. Wow. Yeah. I'd love a good rice separator. Me too, because I want, you know, each grain of rice, I eat them one at a time. And so I want to have them fully separated on my plate uh, so that I can really go to town. Does it take you 18 hours to eat one at a time? Go fuck yourself. Honestly, the hardest part is cooking them one at a time. So many tiny pots. (laughs) You're a vampire, right? Because you have to count to each grain of rice individually. I remember that. Yeah, that's what it is. Yes. Uh, So uh, what I was going to say about this, though, is that I do think... Uh, this is really nice. This is a nice start to the relationship. Frankly, I think the way that they're treating the Mark Amber relationship in the show is better than they have how they did it in the book, because Amber never really seemed like a legitimate romantic partner for Mark at any point. She was just kind of there. This Amber yeah. has more agency. She seems more fun. Zazie Beats' take on the voice is really fun, and I like their date. That dessert looked yeah. real good that they were having. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah, their whole thing and Mark dancing around telling her the truth um, and not and just sort of blowing it. He's very bad at keeping a secret identity just in general. Yeah. Um, And that's going to blow up in his face soon, I feel like. And then the scene with Adam Eve I thought was great where you can tell that like she she says right out of the gate like anytime you date someone who's not in the superhero game game, it's trouble. And Mm -hmm. that, that feels like a subtle like, hey, what about dating me maybe? And then she sort of helps him. The Rex thing comes up, and uh, it's just a, a good – I like the way they're doing a the little dance there. Well, there's a lot of romantic complications in this episode, which I assume people picked up on. Certainly, I'm looking ahead a little bit because I know some of this stuff is coming in the comics. But you got Robot and Monster Girl in particular. Robot kind of doing his own type of flirting in a certain way, mm-hmm. which is fun to see. Uh, and him stepping you up to it's... Rex when Rex starts talking to Monster Girl as well. So you got, it's not exactly a love triangle, but there's certainly something going on there. And it's it's weird characters to be doing that, which makes it more enjoyable to watch. 
The Monster Girl stuff uh, with uh, Jason Manzoukas' character is just so uh, enjoy. Where she's like, "Hey, are we cool?" Like, and him being like, "No." I, I, and I also like his the way he talks to Robot is a lot of fun. And what about Robot's plan? How did you feel? He jabbed some blood out of Explode. Yeah, and, and then the gave end, it to this weird slug baby and the thing. Yeah, like that was really uh, or brain baby. Would you say mm-hmm. what kind of giant uh, squirmy baby would you call that? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm just going to look at my notes here. What did I write this down? Oh, I just said uh, robot gives blood sample to messed up baby in tank. Is what I okay. Right. So I didn't really yeah. give it a name. Nice. Mm-hmm. How about you, Justin? Um, is so who is that baby if i may ask uh Any... well there's definitely a darth vader emperor vibe going on there also shredder crane oh, oh, sure. oh, oh, okay on. i want to sell it short come on in terms of the villain hierarchy you've got darth vader and the emperor and right above that is shredder and crane yeah yeah, yeah culturally speaking yes <laughs> yeah definitely and their darth maul is your bebop and Rocksteady. <laughs> I mean, we know Bebop. what's going you on got, because we read the comic about the Technodrome. You know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah, that's no, also but I to, you know, we're talking about it's the show. It's very hard so to we're... speculate about the show because we know what's going to happen. We've read 144 plus issues of this comic book. Pete, yeah. do you remember what's going to happen? No, definitely oh, this not. Is a good... So you speculate Pete, then. You speculate. Well, what who's, the brain the baby? baby thing is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh God! I don't know. He's trying to grow a soul for himself. I don't know what robots <laughs> trying to do. Wow, <laughs> that's a cool answer. <laughs> robots cold as fuck, man, and it, it drives me nuts how everybody's all right with it. Uh, but yeah, I guess I, it, he's either trying to uh, raise feelings for himself, or I don't know what he's <laughs> trying to do. But it's a, it's not good. It's a, that's a fucked up baby. Raise feelings. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to like grow feelings in some kind of fucked up I am baby raising thing. feelings for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a little jar of feelings in my house, too. <laughs> I got I one of those gardens for apartments. Like, they have a light and they're kind of small and compact. And you get a selection of feelings you can grow there, which is oh, very wow. nice. Would you go yeah. with? Uh, anger. Nice. <laughs> I was going to say, mine's mostly rage. Yeah. I didn't want to spoil it because I was going to give it to you, Pete, on your birthday. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Another <laughs> bumper crop of ra- bumper crop of rage in Pete's <laughs> feelings garden. We touched a little bit on the Mars sequence earlier, but I thought this was super fun. So many different so tropes good. at the same time. Love the setup of. Oh, by the way, there. Watch out for the Martians. Where did you think Martian yeah. Man came from? Kind of showing how. Like we've been talking about, Mark is not the smartest guy out there. That is okay. He's a regular guy who has superpowers. He is not a detective. He doesn't put the stuff together. Yeah, his like being like, margins are real, was fun. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the whole fight scene and everything on Mars just seemed like he's just a basic high school dude who wants to look at pictures of his girlfriend, loses track of his job, and is like, ah, crap, I got to make this right somehow. And then he does in the wildest, most destructive way possible. I and love the, the cutaway from like, all right, I guess we're done here, and then cut to him <laughs> dragging yeah, the right. astronauts. Very good. Yeah, yeah, that um, was real fun. And the and again, the the casting they have for that uh, the the lead Martian, uh, he's been in a ton of stuff. He's really great. The other two things that people should probably keep an eye on going forward is what are they called? The sequids. Sequids. 
The sequins clearly were not done with that necessarily yet. They take over an astronaut. Also, one of the astronauts is a secret Martian traveling back. So that's going to be picked up as well later. And these are fun things. They're just starting to layer into the show. There's so much going on, but it's all enjoyable. Yeah, I love the switcheroo there because I feel like my first thought, divorcing my brain from the comic book that came before, was like, oh, a sequin's going to attach to the alien and head back to, to the human and head back to Earth. And in fact, it was just a total flip of that, where the the astronaut is stuck on Mars with the sequid, and we get an, a, a Martian going to Earth. So, like, that's super cool. Yeah, I that thought. tidal wave of uh, little weird, creepy brains was unbelievable. Now, let me throw this out: Did were you, uh, Alex? You're a huge fan. You once called John Carter um, the next Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I remember um, that. Yeah. Did you feel like this? Because I felt there's some really spiritual. Happened. They really happened. Um, uh, famously panned movie, uh, John <laughs> Carter. Um, the, I felt this felt reminiscent of that a little if you're bit. You're going to die. Yeah, it really gave me pleasant advice of that. And I'm, honestly, I'm still holding out hope. I think Star Wars, as we know, the original one was not recognized in its time. It really wasn't <laughs> until I would say Episode Two: Attack of the Clones that people started to really appreciate wow. the series <laughs> wow. in the right way. Wow. So there's still time. It's still got another couple of decades, and then people are going to come around to the John Carter wave. Wow. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, Taylor Kitsch holding out hope right alongside you. Yeah. I mean, Pete, it's not your favorite movie, Taylor Kitsch movie, Battleship, mind you, but yeah. True. it's pretty close. Battleship is fantastic. No, see, out. you're leading into it in the wrong way here, Pete. I had insulted Alex, and so, of course, naturally, he insulted you, and you were like, yep, I love Battleship. <laughs> <laughs> you true. were supposed to insult me, but instead, you are just like, exactly. It's a good I'll call. Eat Battleship. <laughs> I'll eat Battleship for breakfast. I love it so much. Before it's we start true. to wrap up here, any other thoughts about this episode? Yes. Uh, yes, Pete. Uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, Muller twins. Uh, I love how they have run the jewels for their <laughs> theme music. Um, yeah, I like uh, how they're I, both investigating Donald Trump. <laughs> the Robert Mueller twins. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's Mueller uh, time. Oh, I, I gotta write it, that down. Is for, it Mueller? For Am podcast. I saying it wrong or something? Is it Mueller? <laughs> you should make that a T-shirt. <laughs> no, they're Mueller. The Mueller twins. Mahler, that's all. I've mispronounced so many things this podcast. I should not be making fun of you in any way, Pete. That's true. Exactly. That's true. We're, we just let it ride. I've heard. I've heard you say some uh, really interesting things. <laughs> um, yeah, but and also the the mom for me like very happy of like how suspicious she is like the parts where she stood up and it was really fucked up. Omni Man was just brushing aside Olga like oh she drinks sometimes. Fuck you! It's a Christmas party, motherfucker. Like don't be mad at someone for you know what I mean. Like that's just well actually personal. we should probably talk more about the Debbie Nolan thing, which I did kind of brush past a little bit, and it's obviously a big emotional arc in this episode. Uh, like you were saying, Pete, I think one of the things is he's not. It's not just a Christmas party. It's Olga is clearly in trouble and she is clearly drinking too much. And this is all part of Debbie's arc of becoming suspicious of Nolan. about her drinking, dude. Like fucking, you know what I mean? Her partner just died. She's going through a lot of shit right now. Okay. I'm not, I'm not attacking this fictional animated <laughs> character about it. I'm just okay, saying good. it is part of because Debbie's some arc of us are of realizing defensive about how much we're drinking. Okay. She's loved Nolan. I, she's thought he's a Superman type. He is the good, upstanding hero. She is starting to doubt that, and she's realizing that other significant others may feel a similar way. That is what I took away from that arc. If we were to have an intervention for Olga, would we have to get cartoon characters to be there, or could humans go? 
Oh, that's no, a great question. Go. It's like Roger Rabbit. Well, are we doing this in Cool World? <laughs> I have no. Wow. I, that's I don't think I can question. answer that question. That's a great question. <laughs> uh, the Debbie Nolan stuff was great. I love the stuff on the date. Do you think by yeah. the end of the episode, particularly, particularly given the way the date in Italy right goes, where yeah. he pressures her? essentially, then says, I'm going to date with my wife. I'm not going to worry about that dragon or anything like that. Oh, my God, that was insane. Immediately after she's told a story about falling in love with him because she saw him saving kids, Debbie is not completely on his side, right? Despite what it looks like at the end of the episode. No, and I think he, she's having, in this whole episode, she's having an emotional, like, confrontation with him. She's Mm -hmm. like, I'm doubting you because of this stuff. I want to talk about our relationship. You're different. You feel different. Yeah. And then they, it bounces back and they're in Italy and she's like, I feel so good. This reminds me of how I used to feel. And him, rather than responding to those feelings, he tries to get her in like a legally binding statement of like, I trust you. Not thinking about his feelings or her feelings or the disaster happening behind them. So it's just, I think it just goes to show how much uh, Nolan is switched over into this other personality where whatever the implications of marketing his powers are for for his life or mission or whatever you want to call it, he's in a totally different place. And I again, I love the way this is this show shows and doesn't tell that. We just see her realize like, ah, this is bad. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it'll uh, be interesting to see the next time we see them, like how while she's doing with it, because after what he did, like, it should be like, yo, you're sleeping on the fucking couch. Like, what the well, fuck? Then they were both sleeping on the couch when Mark walked in on them. Yeah, I know. That's what makes me upset is it got okay after that. I love that little switcheroo there because we leave off in the house with a confrontation between Cecil and Damien Darkblood. You hear noises. Mark comes back. But nope, it's his parents getting busy on the couch. Yes, and they were getting busy, and they wanted to stay busy. The only thing I missed a little bit, there's a great bit in the comic with this scene where he comes in and is like, I don't even want to know what's going on. The dialogue is pretty much the same. But before he goes upstairs, he says, hey, mom, your shirt's on backwards, which is funny. Uh, But they skipped it, so too bad. That's all. I mean, it's uh, hard to get your shirt on backwards. Well, when you Though put I it on say, the rush, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. My son no, does that try- every morning. Every yeah, morning yeah. he walks in, we're like, put your shirt out the right way. <laughs> Who's your son? I love his consistency. In his <laughs> I don't know how to follow this line of conversation. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Okay>. wow. <laughs> you, we were just like, we were just talking about it, Like, yeah, sometimes you put I your clothes on. Usually you throw your kids under me. the bus. That is on me. I was it's on me. I was once at a party where two people went off and hooked up and then came back. Everyone at the party knew and everyone was playing it cool. And then literally his shirt was on inside out. It was like and these were adults. This is everyone was like, uh, you know, mid 20s. Truly one of the most sitcom moments I ever lived in real life. <laughs> wow. Hey, good for them. I guess good for them falling in love and making babies. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's what hooking up is for, making children. (laughs) All right, let's wrap this up here. Before we go, what was your invincible moment of the episode? Justin, you got one? Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, I feel like I've been uh, tooting the horn this episode all all podcast, but uh, I want to give it up to the sort of two-part moment of the uh, astronaut's flag 
changing, shape-shifting mm-hmm. in front of us, cutting right to um, the other astronaut uh, with the, the, sequids, the sequid wave over top of him. I thought that was just like super exciting storytelling, setting up so much stuff in the future, and while not distracting from all the emotional arcs that were ha- happening in the show. Pete, what about you? Invincible moment of the episode? Yeah, I mean, I got to say the uh, the bit where Jason uh, Manzoukas uh, says, maybe I'll explode, explode something, maybe you're nuts, was real nice. <laughs> but I got to say, the reveal that Cecil, like, knows Omni-Man is up to no good and wants to know why, like, lets me know, like, this guy's really on top of his shit. I like him a lot more. So uh, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with, and we mentioned this before, Mark on Mars saying, I understand slash cut to the astronauts and him running away from the Martians. Super fun, classic bit, but it completely works here. And like we were saying, gets to the heart of Mark's character and how he approaches problems as well. So super, super fun. And it felt very back to the future. If, mm, I don't know. I, I don't that. know the exact moment in Back to the Future in which or which movie, but it, the moment felt like, oh, this is very like Michael J. Fox. Um, maybe the moment when he's tra- time traveling in, in Back to the Future Part Three and he's driving into the wall with a what bunch of uh, what? What is happening right now? <laughs> Just describing, <laughs> making a connection between these two. You know what, Pete? What, is, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Invincible. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and to listen to the show. On iTunes in particular, leave a comment, leave a rating. We really appreciate those quite a bit. Uh, Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Until next time, this has been This Viltrumite Life. What? All right. All right, Ira Glasses. Off to bed. Let's go back to Battleship like we were watching right before this. Yay. Yay.